This is the Drunken Trail Podcast with your hosts, Nick Morose and Ethan Zook. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Drunken Trail. This is episode 26. I'm your host, Nick Morose, along with my co-host, Ethan Zook. Now coming with actually a voice, as opposed to a couple weeks ago when I didn't have a voice. This is a nice episode because we're going to be talking about um, homebrewing and some other things, but uh, basically it's going to be about um, homebrewing and uh, the history of that in the United States specifically. I know if you've listened to our prior episode with beer and history of that, there'll be some overlap, but we're going to give you some new information that you probably didn't know about and is probably going to make you angry if you're a person who you know believes in individual liberty. So, yeah. Or or if you're just, you know, a glass half full person like me, you're mostly going to be happy that we have the ability to do homebrew. Yeah. I'm always fighting the next thing. So, um, <laughs> excuse me, my allergies. Uh, yeah, you got your head cold, cold you're going over and getting over and uh, I got allergies. Oh, so, yeah, I got, I got hit by a one-two punch. So I got food poisoning. Yeah. Which was... <laughs> horrible like 24 hours of just ugh. um now were you, know, you throwing up or you run into the i think you said you were throwing up you're not you weren't you didn't have the runs right no i had both oh i, I was uh hmm, sorry to sorry for all of you folks with weak stomachs but i was firing from both ends i was uh <laughs> it was not fun <laughs> oh it was terrible there was there was about um a six hour period there where i where i think i threw up well no it was shorter than that it was, there was a four hour period where i think i threw up six times Oof. and the worst part is when there's nothing left and you're just like heaving dude i'm pretty sure i saw my toenails at some point <laughs> i mean it was it was so bad and then so then i finally stopped throwing up around like one or two a.m spent the rest of the night tossing and turning like Mel is voluntarily going and sleeping on the couch. Um, and so finally then I woke up around, you know, seven o'clock or whatever and spent the next day. Like it, it was a hangover, but without any of the fun that came before the hangover, man. So just like headache and just like dehydrated as shit and just, Oh, it's terrible. Spent the whole day laying on the couch and like drinking Gatorade and like, trying to make myself feel better i tell you man uh, so so then horrible. i felt better and then promptly got just flattened again by a sinus infection which is why i haven't been able to drink or do or you know enjoy a cigar for the past bunch of days i'm finally able to have a beer tonight because i don't have to take nyquil tonight um a couple of things also too I'm, I'm glad you're feeling better after all yeah. that by the way um yeah. i have something that actually relates to that that i was like wow this is actually gonna work um, it sounds odd, but anyways, I'll get around to it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, the other thing I want to make sure everybody knows. Not only we're we going to talk about home brewing, we're going to talk about the results of the ginger beer, like I promised. And uh, because if you if you looked at the video, you're going to get the results on the podcast because we want you to look at both and not just be a fan of one or the other. We want you to do that cross thing, almost like a Marvel comic where you have to read like. Okay, you get the rest of the story. You got to go to Uncanny X Men, then you got to go to Spider Man, and then you got to go to. <laughs> I think only comic nerds are gonna understand what the fuck I'm saying right there. But 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, we, we get it. It's, it, we are a multi-platform phenomenon here and we want you to get the full drunken trail experience. Exactly. So, so we'll be going over that videos and there's a podcast and there's, yeah. And, and I have to say special thanks to uh, Ben. I hung out with um, him and his wife over the weekend. We went to a wine, like it's called wine crush. They do like, they have local bands that come in. Some of them could do covers or whatever. And they serve their wine. They have these slushies, all this stuff. It's good stuff. And I was over in Fort Pierce and um, he came up with this cocktail that was pretty nifty, and I wrote it down, and it kind of it started spurning like ideas in my head what the drunken trail can do because we always put our own little twist on these cocktails. We always go, hey, you know, we should, you know, this is the way we think you should make it. And so, like the blood and sand, I'm looking for Luxardo still, <laughs> trying really? to, yeah, like it, I went to the liquor uh, the liquor store and. Um, Wait, the, like Luxardo cherries? Yeah, or like Luxardo. Um... The liqueur. The maraschino liqueur. Oh, the maraschino. Yeah. So they they didn't have it. They said it was in the Lake Whale store. I forgot to check the Lake Whale store because it was storming. And I was just like, ah, let's go home. And um, and they said, yeah, if we ordered it, even though it's coming from Lake Wales, it'd be two to three weeks. And I'm like, ah. But I think that would be the way to go with the, the, you know, blood and sand. For for once, Virginia ABC actually comes through. If you want Luxardo... We can get it when you come up here. We have it in our local stores. Which is a great segue to say that, yes, guys, we're going to be doing the um, the couples podcast episode that we're going to try to make at least annual. So we'll have uh, uh, Samantha and Mel on. And you guys already know Mel from Ethan and Mel does cocktails. Uh, Samantha has been shy, really. She was going to go on me w- with uh, the YouTube, but she's like, nah. But here's the thing something caught her interest and we're going to do a special segment in October for you horror fans out there. It's called the drunken trail presents the horror trail. That's something she came up with and she wants to do horror reviews and we'll do some horror inspired cocktails based on those reviews. Uh, Please tell me that you're doing horror reviews like tipsy or something like that. I don't know, but I did. She's, she's starting to look up scripts for our other idea. The, uh, and our, uh, Ben's wife, Mindy, she was all like, yeah, I'm not trying to, to to encourage your alcoholism or anything, but you know, I can't wait to see this because I know you got to get really smashed to really make, sell it. You can't fake it. You got to be smashed to do yes. the script. And yes. I'm like, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. I think. <laughs> uh, I just, you know, it's going to take some day drinking because I've, I mean, I, the tolerance level has been climbing steadily to the point where I was telling her, I was like, yeah, on St. Patty's Day, I wasn't joking when I said I did four shots in, you know, in a row practically while we were doing the episode and at the end I was like, yeah, I was a little, you know, I told her, I was like, I'm not going to drive. That's for sure. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I can, if I focused a little bit, I can not slur my words, you know, just like you were talking <laughs> about with the cops that were checking to see if you were DUI or not just by talking to you. And right. you totally passed, even though you were totally not supposed to pass. Totally skunked. Yeah. yeah. Should not have passed. Absolutely. So anyway, so what are you drinking today? Well, so in, in honor of the present topic, I've got beer tonight. And so I'm drinking Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA. Excellent um, choice. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not an IPA fan, but Sierra Nevada is good. That's true. You don't like IPAs. But, you know, in, in, in my case, this is sort of – so we're talking about beer and uh, microbrew history tonight and, like, homebrewing history. And Sierra Nevada's was one of the first, like, microbreweries. We'll talk more about that later. But anyway, I thought it was appropriate to be drinking – some Sierra Nevada tonight. That's why I was saying excellent choice. Sierra Nevada's um, uh, 
history with home brewing is really interesting. And uh, if I remember correctly, I remember the guys, uh, specifically Ken is the guy who kind of formulated it all. But he did it as early as when he was in his teens and hid it from his parents. And then um, he also, uh, uh, when this, like, it wasn't legal. Like, he was doing it illegally. And so when, and you'll we'll get to why this was, you know, how this all came about. But he was a trailblazer. Like this was Sierra Nevada is a trailblazer, a trailblazer, sorry, a trailblazer in uh, the uh, beer going from homebrew to actually brewery, uh, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. So so like their pale ale, which is their flagship, was first brewed in 1980. But, um, you know, Ken, the guy you were talking about, Ken Grossman, started a homebrew shop. And then he like sort of Sierra was like the beginning of the the boom of microbreweries. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, and you got to remember, like people are like, well, how come you can have a homebrew shop if it's illegal? Well, same thing at head shops. Everybody says, well, for your exotic tobacco needs, like I could buy a distiller for liquor and just tell them I'm making essential oils. Right. <laughs> like so. Right. As long as you don't mention that you're making alcohol, yeah, you're good. Yeah, and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have a rant about that later because like as I looked at more laws and what Florida did, Florida can go fuck themselves. And and this is a new reason why Florida can go fuck themselves, right? Oh, like Air different day. from all the other reasons why Florida can go fuck themselves. Oh my god, ever it, you know it, it it's this place. Why do people move this state? Is beyond me. They're like, well, because it's nice and sunny and beaches. It's humid as fuck. You can get sun in Las Vegas. They got a fake ocean out there. You can go swim in it. Um, and all that coming up after we find out why Nick, what Nick is drinking. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> this drink will calm me down. It's called. Hor- <laughs> it's will called, it really? Will it's, it? <laughs> it's called oral sex. And um, <laughs> it'll calm him down and leave him sleepy and groggy <laughs> afterwards. Uh, so it's called oral sex. It's it's. Uh, Card number 69 on the mm, the uh, nice. card box thing. Now, here's the thing. I thought, and I, I the joke for me was like, oh, man, you know, uh, uh, Samantha's mother, she's, she's got these uh, cocktails we inherited and all that stuff. And that's funny. She had this. I, I knew a little bit more about her than I probably should have. And then I find out, I was like, no, it's because when Samantha went to bartending school, she got these card boxes, and then she just gave them over to mom. And I was like, oh, well, that's not as interesting as a story. You know, like, that's just... That's just you giving it to her and you getting it back. I mean, this is not even fun. So anyways, this is how you make it. You're supposed to layer the drink. Ha ha. Good luck. But um, you get uh, Irish cream. Now, here's the thing I found out. They said that uh, because everybody makes their type of Irish cream or triple sec or whatever differently, you may have to do it exactly to their thing. It's not just them promoting a brand. It's actually because the uh alcohol the gravity levels are different and if you get something different it may not layer so that makes sense mine may have fucked up because of that um because when you drink it certain things are clinging to each other and certain things aren't so it's almost like i'm drinking the finish in a glass (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it still tastes great and it it, it'll give you a little bit of a wallop so anyways it's a, a third ounce of bailey's irish cream a uh, third ounce of triple sec and a third ounce of Southern comfort. I use the high, high bourbon content of the seven year aged bourbon uh, from Kirkland's. 
because I like I just I really like that Tennessee whiskey. And I went to go back to get some more because I'm almost out because I like it so much. Right. And you saw how big that bottle was. So I'm like, I was chewing on that thing. You've been chunking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It's good. And that's like on top of everything else. So I um I went to go get it. Uh, the style of I gotta put it out there, the style of the drink is considered a push coffee or a coffee push, also known as a puss cafe, which is a style of drink that's going the way of the dodo, unfortunately. I think that's awesome. You get coffee in your, you know, your apricot oh, yeah. and your little cocktail with it that go with it. Which is why Irish cream always seems to be in these types of uh, ingredients. But anyways, if you get the right ones, you layer just fine. Kirkland's was all out. They switched it out with a different bourbon. I was like, eh, mm. I don't know. Incidentally, if you're interested in uh, learning how we learned how to pronounce that word, you should check out the last episode where we actually like fact-checked that and looked it up. And Don't forget to, guys, check out Ethan and Mel does cocktails, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get to see all like those cocktails are made. Because we're gonna be doing that too. Like uh, I sent you the home now to to really ice the cake of the homebrew deal. Now I don't know if you're gonna do this with Mel or we're gonna do it when I get up there. Uh, but uh, I sent you a Mister Beer kit. I'm still waiting back for them to to see if I can officially sponsor them um, or they sponsor us in a way. That'd be cool. Yeah. And if we do, guys, we'll we'll have an affiliate code. We're just uh, waiting on that. I emailed the guy again because it was looking pretty promising. And then all of a sudden, just dead silence for five days. And I'm like, hey, um, what happened? You're all excited now. You didn't say anything. So I'm guessing it's just busier. The email got lost. But anyway, Mr. Beer is like the number one home brewing kit. Um, I've been doing and using them since like 2003, 2004. And it simplifies a lot of stuff for you. Now, if you want to go the whole you know, full money with it, with the grain and all that stuff. You know, you can do that too. They're now owned by Cooper's, which is the largest Australian uh, brewer. Oh, and that's good beer too. Yeah. And they actually, you can go to the Cooper site and order through the Mr. Beer to get the Cooper's five gallon kits. And what I like is Cooper's went in there and they said, Hey, we're going to improve how you do things. So I noticed that the cans of malt, the pre-malted stuff, incidentally, you can use that to make whiskey. <laughs> Um, because <laughs> that's why it got me kind of like, hmm, I can make whiskey with this. Why don't I check that out? And we'll go into that later. But uh, the cans are much bigger than when I started out with. They still have the yeast that's under the cap. But if you notice, the can you got is fairly large. And I got you an IPA. <laughs> I saw that. I, I know, was like, I, I was like, I don't want them to think like, oh, this free. It was kind of technically a, a Father's Day gift. And I was like, hey, have, you know, <laughs> enjoy. So I was planning on saving it till you guys come up here. Okay. Um, now I am perfectly willing to, you know, make it in advance so you can enjoy it when you come up here. Well, actually, it might not be ready by the it time. It won't. Here. It it takes two weeks in the keg, at least, and then another two weeks in the bottle. Gotcha. Uh, okay. They, so, they say minimum seven, but they really mean two. But we can we can get it started at least when you guys come up here, and and that might be more fun. Plus. I think, you know, if you want to if you want to film it and you want to make a little like, hey, folks, uh, you know, the drunken trail is making beer here, then I think you're going to be able to help me with that way better than I can do on my own. That's exactly why I'm doing it, because they actually have the instructions on the can now. And it's very simplistic. It's very there. Now, I don't know. I can't remember if I, I sent like I know the kit came with the IPA bottle, all their stuff or not IPA bottles, but the PET bottles. Right. Uh, did it also come with a deluxe version of that malt? <laughs> Is there two little silver packages of 
to be honest, to be completely honest with you, I haven't actually opened the box. Yet. Okay, I gotta check it's, it out to see. We'll do it. We'll do a box opening. Yeah, there you go. It's yeah. sitting in the corner of my kitchen right now, um, and I'm just kind of letting it sit there because if I start getting into it, then I'm gonna get really excited about it, and then I'm not gonna be able to wait. Yeah, once you I'm know like, how to do it, I'm like easy. a little kid when it comes to boxes. You know, I just get into them and start messing around. Uh, no, no, I get it. I get it. Because the first thing I did is I ordered three kit, uh, not three, because I have four kegs. This is how much I got into Mr. Beer. I have four of their kegs. I upgraded them to their newer spouts because I had their old spouts. Then I got a hydrometer and then I got um, the priming sugars little uh, deal. And then I got okay. like muscle and sack. Uh, and then I ended up getting a three beers. I have a lager. I have a Hefeweizen. I have um, a Canadian blonde ale, which I have in the keg right now. So I'll be nice. bottling it right before I leave up there and leaving in the bottle for however long to let it ferment. The nice. downside is is that the carbo drops are made for your PET bottles. So I got to figure out how to cut those to size so I don't make a bunch of bottle bombs, come home and find beer <laughs> everywhere. Because I have exploded a bottle before, and it sucks. Like, it rips off. It shoots beer all the way up to the ceiling. I had to clean the damn ceiling of, of uh, my house. Awful. Yeah, but for some reason, and I went on a hiatus. So, it, anyways, yeah, it's going to be great. We'll show a step-by-step. We'll even show the sanitization process. So, that way, our fans can figure out, like, hey, if I'm going to do this, what do I need to do? And so... Well, they, they, and. And and speaking of filming stuff, you know, you if we wait until Nick does come up, if we wait until you come up, we will get a much higher quality video because, uh, you know what, we had a filming snafu on our last Ethan and Mel do cocktails. Oh, um, we were trying because like we're tr- still working on figuring out the nice camera that we got. Um, so we set it up so that that camera was rolling and we had those little mics that you sent us set yeah. up as well. And then we set up a separate system just in case everything fucked up. Um, we could, you know, still salvage it with a separate camera and a separate mic system. And we got so much interference between the microphones that the footage on both cameras was unusable. Whoa, that's a weird one. I'll have to try yeah. to, test that out to get you set up there because the, the adapter, they have three adapters and then you just put the right adapter in. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so, and so I should say that the feedback that we found so far has been on the iPhone camera. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and we had like one microphone running off the iPhone clipped to the table as per usual. And just like the feedback from the other two microphones seemed to have just completely messed up the audio on the iPhone. So what's brilliant, so, by the way, what's brilliant because you have that kit and I have that kit is that when we do the podcast with everybody, everybody will be mic'd up. Everybody will sound great and everything will go in with the two receivers into one recording. Well, of course, we'll test it to make sure this works out, but I'm positive right. it will. <laughs> Um, because we could do it through a laptop. We could do it through all sorts of stuff. It's going to be awesome, guys. I'm telling you, because the last time when we did the the one microphone that was set on area meeting, it fucked up. It was so hard to hear everybody. And even with the, the mastering and everything, it just couldn't be recovered. Now, I will say that when I did my video, uh, I needed to boost the decibels and I almost lost the video to the, the very same thing you're talking about. Um, it was very like it was just quiet, but it turned out OK. With your knowledge and you getting into videography and everything else, what'd you think of the crawl video with a ginger beer? I liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah. What'd you think of the video quality? Because that was my first real go at coloring the thing. The video quality looked great. Now I'm I'm still granted, I am still looking, learning to look for what I you know, and, and so like 
for me, I noticed only pretty much the most like dramatic of color things. <laughs> um, but it, it looked really good. Yeah, I thought like, it looked great. With a with a critical eye, I would I mean, people would say that it looks very warm, that it looks very, you know, unicolor with the the oranges and everything, but that's just because of my kitchen setup. I right. mean, it's red on this natural wood that's a medium. But that being said, we're going to reveal what the ginger beer was like right after uh, we take a quick break because I got to fill up again. Um, I'm going to double it up this time because I realize how quickly this this cocktail goes through. And then we'll go back and we'll talk about the tasting profile of this ginger beer and what you might want to change uh, from the Glen Influence. And again, you can check this out on the YouTube uh, with the crawl. You'll see the ginger beer. You'll see the Ethan and Mel do cocktails. Check them all out. They're amazing. Um, and and uh, the and the newest Ethan and Mel do cocktails will be out in the next couple of days. We have to refilm it because we messed up the audio so bad but there's a new a new one coming it's the french gimlet you'll like it it's great it's delicious um and that'll be up in a couple of days awesome so guys go out get uh your drink refilled and come right back time to fill your glass the drunken trail will be right back hey it's nick morose here while you're filling up your drink and we're on a little bit of a break here Please check out our website at www.drunkentrail.com. There you'll see a word, donate. Click it. Check it out. It's our Patreon. Help us out. It starts out at $5 a month and only $5 a month. You can cancel at any time. You can even join up, give us that $5, and then cancel right away. It doesn't matter much to us because what we're going to do with that money is help you get more content from us. That means traveling, buying more liquors to try out, more beers and producing more videos on YouTube. Also, we have polls that you can go ahead and vote on, so that way you can see more of the stuff that you like, not just what we think of. So again, go to our website at www.drunkentrail.com and click the word donate. Thanks. Welcome back after that short little break there. Um, so I was going to go over the uh, ginger beer and tell you guys what it's about. I went ahead and made another cocktail. I hope you guys did too. I'm about to open another beer. So there we go. I just felt like the uh, King of the Hill theme should have played right when that happened. <laughs> like you're just... <laughs> we can make it happen in post. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I won't get copyright, you know, infringement up the ass with that. Not a bit. Um, so, yeah, the ginger beer turned out really good, except I put too much ginger in it. And I wish I would have put more sugar in it to sweeten it up. Uh, because I was so afraid that it was like, oh, the guy, Glenn and Friends. Again, guys, check the, his channel out. He makes so much cool stuff. But, um, yeah, he... Uh, he put the proper amount of ginger probably for a Caribbean ginger, <laughs> which I like Caribbean spicy ginger. And I was like, no, he's probably making it a little bit too mild. I'm going to throw more ginger in. So now this thing is like hot. It is f- like, like if you dunked Caribbean, like the whole Caribbean, I should say Caribbean. Anyways, the whole Caribbean in the hell and said, all right, make your ginger beer because it's spicy. It's spicy? Good. It's spicy. So I made like uh, my favorite Kraken and, and uh, Stormy cocktail, with, which is predominantly ginger beer. And the problem is, is that it be, it's very earthy. 
And I don't know if it's because the process of like keeping the skin on for the wild yeast, which I'm guessing that's what it is. If you like, if you shave the skin off as much as possible, then took the pure ginger core of it and then added yeast afterwards and then added sugar. That's probably where you get the mainstream stuff. But this stuff is basically what you would get if you went to uh, Bermuda at the time when Gosling was making ginger beer on his island. This is as like legit as you get because it's it's just sugar. Ginger, water, that's it. There's nothing else. The wild yeast on the skin is all you get. So is it alcoholic or is it? Yeah, it's about 1.5%. Again, thanks to, you know, I didn't really do the hydrometer, but this is according to this the measurements that was taken by uh, Glenn of Glenn and Friends. He did the test on it. He did all that stuff. My thing is, is this. I wonder where I'm at because I have some extremely active yeast that when you mm-hmm. open it, it's, it sounds like Rice Krispies. It's like pop, 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 <laughs> pop, 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 pop. And when you open up a bottle, one out of so far three or four, actually, no, one out of four won't like overflow with foam. You have to open it up over the sink because it's so pressurized that as soon as you open it up, it's like and all this other stuff. So the yeast is super active, even though I have it in the fridge. So I'm like, damn. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, I gotta perfect this recipe. It's I don't know if I even will make it because it's so easy to just go to the store and buy it, to be honest. Right. But it's fun right. to make it. Uh, I'd rather make beer and like true beer than this. But uh, yeah, it's you know, it's 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 I'd say everybody who's really interested in it and that like makes stuff, or if you're into alcohol or cocktails, try it out. You're gonna see what the flavor used to be back in the day. And uh, if you enjoy it, cool. I, I I like it. I prefer the more sweet with the heat. But uh, if you like earthy, I I mean, you know that earthiness you get out of, you get out of cigars. It's almost like that. Like not as predominant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hit you as hard, but you get right. that same flavor profile. And then the rest of it is this ginger heat afterwards. I might need to try that. That actually sounds pretty good. I'll bring some if it doesn't turn into a bottle bomb. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, I brought some over to to our friends over the weekend, and it didn't. It actually turned out better. So I'm gonna assume that, you know, bringing it over to you guys will it'll turn out better. So yeah, we'll see. Hey, give it a shot. And we'll didn't ourselves. An, we'll get, make ourselves another uh, dark and stormy. We'll have some goslings waiting for you. See what happens. Sounds good. Although I'm a. I prefer Kraken. I will say that. Like of I got, course you do. I got the 94 proof, you know, Kraken now. So I'm, I'm a happy boy. <laughs> uh, we got to get some of the labeled, the the uh, Virginia label, because Kraken is attacking the United States. You can find Kraken attacking uh, Las Vegas now and everything else. These special labels. And we're not even sponsored by them. I'm like playing them up like a motherfucker. So it's like, you need to. Hey, Kraken Rum. Yeah. Take a look over here and. Uh, let us have a talk with you at some point. By the way, shout out to our special French uh, fan out there. We, we see you um, on our stats almost every episode. So thanks for hanging in there. They're still um, listening. Yeah, they still come up every. Like it may take them a week or two, but it'll pop up that it's coming right from France. I almost want to visit and be like, just hold up a sign with Drunken Trail and see who goes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know. Bonjour, <laughs> bonjour. Like, Great. Ethan and I will like follow you around. And you can tell us what all the great French bars are and everything. Like, there awesome. you go. Like, I always wanted to go to Avignon, but um, 
Anyways, I'm, I'm sidetracking. Let's talk about home brewing. Hey, let me take another sip of beer and then we'll do that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cartoon slurp. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why do you drink like that, Ethan? I just love to. It's for effect. It's for the sound effects. Speaking of oral sex. <laughs> Oops. And I did the sound, so that means I'm the... Oh, well. <laughs> so let's talk about beer. Specifically homebrewed beer. Which, believe it or not, has a much longer history than most people realize. Because it's definitely... I mean, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but would you say that like the whole idea of people brewing their own beer definitely has kind of like a hipster vibe to it these days. It does until you see like a convention or a club worth of them. And then they all look like us. <laughs> sure. But I mean, like you think about the stereotypical like guy that's like, Oh, I brew my own beer. You totally definitely think of a guy that like a beard, which I have, but like, you know, you know, like a, a hipster guy, you know, right? absolutely. Absolutely. When I was commenting on my ginger beer, I was like, yeah, you know, you know, I did, I did this. I did that. I made my ginger beer. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a hipster. <laughs> so, if, yeah, you were, absolutely. If, if you were making kombucha, I'd say you're even more of a hipster. But so so like beer has actually been part of like the American diet for centuries. Yep. I uh, I volunteer at a colonial site. So like uh, a house that was occupied, it's, it's Thomas Jefferson's house uh, that was occupied in like the late 1700s and early 1800s. And they brewed beer there. I'm not surprised. He loved his wine, but that's not surprising. Yeah. He loved his wine, but they actually drank a lot of beer, like mostly beer for like general consumption. So there's two types of beer. Like you have your lager and you have your ales. I know there's a lot more sub types, but when it comes down to brewing, you have ale or you have your lager. That's it. What type? I'm guessing he liked ale, but what type did he like? So they called it small beer, mm -hmm. um, which was the idea that it was a fairly low alcohol volume beer. So like uh, it was four and five percent. It was probably pretty close to an ale. It's still pretty close to a part of what we have. I mean, if you get a light beer, yeah. it's going to be about four to five. It probably would have been a lot of wheat, um, a lot of corn. Um and it would not have been like cold lagered, so it probably would have been like a cloudy ale or like a, hmm. you know, something like that. Kind of a British style barley and wheat beer. That's good. You just right down the middle of the road. Yep. Um, but like, you know, the, the idea was that it's been fermented and uh, that's killed most of the harmful bacteria in the water. And so it's safer to drink than you know, maybe some of the other stuff around. Yeah. You know, I try to explain that to somebody. I said, you know, uh, it wasn't exactly, it was safer to give your kids a low alcohol beer or alcoholic beverage than it was to drink from the water. Cause at least it killed most of the bacteria. Yeah. Otherwise and, and, you die from dehydration. If you got some stomach ailment, like you went through, you know? Yeah. Oh, and to be honest, and you know, we're, we are talking four and 5% for the most part, alcohol. Yeah is what this small beer was. Um, and it actually wasn't Jefferson that uh, brewed it. It was his wife that was in charge of brewing it. Which is, for that time... Um, Pretty normal, actually. Yeah. And the other thing is, I'm actually surprised, because I was going to ask you, who really brewed it? Because... With the yeah, so it would have been his wife with the wife in charge of the process. It definitely would have been his enslaved people okay, that would yeah, have that's actually brewed. Right on the money from what I've read so far yeah. on the history. So, so the way it kind of worked, his wife was in charge of sort of the home estate. Like 
it, the house was sort of her dominion. So she was in charge. Like Jefferson would have been in charge of everything. His wife would have been in charge then of the home and the kitchens and like sort of the house industry kind of thing. And then, and so she would have overseen the enslaved people that worked in the kitchen, as well as the enslaved people that ran the house and the enslaved people that did the brewing. Now, uh, the point to note to, to relate it back to our brewing, like our beer history, like all beer history episode, which I mean, for the most part, I think it was, it was pretty good as far as getting everybody caught up. Um, that was of the norm to have happen like it was a woman's duty to brew the beer and you didn't yep. have industrial beer because there really wasn't any way to make industrial quantities of it it was a home recipe the only time that you sold it outside your house is if it was such a popular recipe people are like you gotta get it from like ned's wife it's it's amazing man it's the troll so you right. end up with what we now know as pubs or public houses or taverns and I'm guessing that maybe Jefferson had something going on with his friends like that. Like maybe he had his house as a public. Um, well, so uh, sort of. So it's sort it's of. it's more complicated than that. Because um, he's a he, politician. But I didn't know because I'm like, you're making some money, you know. Well, so he didn't make any money. <laughs> oh, if okay, had, never mind. <laughs> if he had made money, it would have actually fixed a lot of problems. The big problem was... So we're getting we're getting way off into the weeds here, and I'm going to do my best to do this really quickly. But the the idea was that during that time, if you were a Southern gentleman, you were expected to extend hospitality to anybody that came to your door and asked for it. Okay, so like what that means is that people in the surrounding community, when they arrived in the Charlottesville area, could ride over to Jefferson's house, walk up to his front door, knock the thing, and, and ask to stay with him. And even if he didn't really know them, he was expected to say yes. Oh, wow. And he was expected to entertain them, board them, feed them, all that stuff. Um, and it was wasn't just like a you know for the night thing. It could be an extended stay, like several weeks. Um, and he was expected to do this at no charge to them. Essentially, that he was supposed to absorb this without regard to how much it cost. So ultimately, this was one of the reasons why he died heavily, heavily in debt um, with all the things that came with that. Poor so. Guy. Yeah. Now he was way more of like, we've talked about this, but he was way more of a wine dude. So he was kind of an unofficial wine um, uh, advisor, if you will, to President Jefferson, Adams, Madison, and Monroe, as well as himself. So that's the first five presidents of the United States that he advised what types of wine should be served at the White House. Yeah. You know, I used to say that when I was in business school, you want to know how to wine and dine people the most because no CEO, no boss gets rid of the guy who knows how to pick champagne. Yeah. Like nobody gets rid of that guy. Um, just as long as you're not completely like a liability. If you know how to pick out the right steak, the right places, the right names, the right everything, basically your glorified personal assistant that, that is making close to six figures, uh, you're going to stay on board as an employee yep. of something else, like maybe you're a junior executive, but you happen to be the, you know, one of the people surrounding the CEO. Right. Uh, of course, junior executives, I don't even know if they exist anymore after the fallout of uh, 2007, 2008, but yeah, who knows? But at any rate, so yeah, but, and, and Jefferson wasn't even the beginning of brewing in the United States. He was just continuing on a fairly well-established tradition, you know, and, and, United States is a nation of immigrants, many of which have a strong brewing heritage. So the British have a pretty strong brewing heritage. The Irish, of course, the Scotch, 
Um, and then also the Germans have a very strong brewery. I'm going to have to refer to the Scots as the Scotch from now you on. You know what I'm... Uh, yeah, I know what you meant, but I was like, that's amazing. Hey, where's all my Scotch people at? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's known by their main alcoholic beverage. Fuck everything else. <laughs> the beers, the Scotch, and the whiskey. Uh, we're going to go to the <laughs> ailing territory. We're going to come to the bourbons. Yeah. The bourbonites, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> and then you go to like like the country of no return, which is just all dry. They don't believe yeah. it. Yeah, but yeah. So so what I'm finding is showing that brewing was essentially like a cottage industry. Like this was something that people kind of did for their own consumption, the consumption of their guests, and then on a, like a limited industrial scale, mostly from taverns until like the 1840s when there was like a big influence of German brewers. Budweiser's, the Millers, yeah. the well. You he also know. had uh, Louis Pasteur who found out that hey guys, I found out that this bacteria yeast is responsible for why we have alcohol. And as soon as that happened, and then the the technology caught up, it was on. It was just yeah. now we're making it big time, and that's where I get pissed off. But not before I talk about the fact that this is a thousands of years history that we would brew uh, all sorts of different alcohols, but beer has been the longest one ever all the way back to Mesopotamia, but well, it's two, two, 3000 years ago. And, um, it's uh, gone on and on and on. And then you, when you got a popular one in the medieval times, middle ages, uh, they would open up those pubs, those tavern houses, those places right there. And it was always a woman's thing. Cause it was dealing with grains. It was the gathering. It was the, you know, you weren't the hunter, you were the gatherer. So that's your job. That's not my job. I skin, I make the leather, I do all that stuff. But when it comes down to anything dealing with plant stuff, that's women's work. So that is interesting that it continued on with Thomas Jefferson, albeit with slaves, uh, under the the matriarch's rule with his wife. Uh, so that all kind of connected from what I've read. What really bothers me is f- as soon as industrial brewers had the money, they began lobbying politicians to shut down home brewing all, all across. And they used prohibition <laughs> almost as a as a way to do it. And then went, oh shit, they, we banned ourselves. Like right. <laughs> you know. Well and, and we should say that's a like a hundred year process. So like, you know, big industrial brewing kind of around 1840s when with you know like German influx of German, German brewing, setting up those big brew houses and then yeah, yeah by the 30s, you know, in an effort to narrow the market for themselves, they inadvertently made themselves illegal yeah and you know fuck on them for that but here's the here's the thing that was crazy to me that i didn't know until uh i started researching specifically united states home brewing is that it was federally legal in 1978 thanks to jimmy carter signing that bill saying yeah you know beer can be brewed in any state however because of how the united states is built with states rights they were able to still say, well, no, we don't want it here. And until 2013, did it always, like, there was still a state that did not allow it. And that happened to be Mississippi and Alabama, the home of, I call vibrators devil sticks. And so in 2013, (laughs) Alabama and Mississippi were the last to actually uh, say, yeah, we're going to allow home brewing. What the fuck? Like, I mean, this is, I don't understand why 
something that is ingrained in our history that we're banning. And then I made a comic. So I was just like, as I researched it, I don't know if you saw it, but you probably like, as I was really digging in, I was like, why the hell are they telling me that's something that's legal, like liquor, right? Oh, okay. I can finally do beer and wine. Woo. But now I'm stuck because I have to worry about what state I, I make my own little batch of liquor in. And you can, and it's not like, it's not cheap by any means. Like if you get a distillery kit uh, or, you know, whatever you're trying to do, it's uh, for a small batch, you're, you're still just under a thousand dollars. It's not, it's not cheap by any means. It's not. And so uh, once you do all that and you make it and you see what you're going to do, I mean, yeah, it's probably cheaper just to buy the liquor you're going to buy. But, you know, for curious uh, renaissance men like ourselves that likes to <laughs> to cut into the information the knowledge we like to kind of say hey we're going to do it matter of fact i found an old moonshine recipe uh off of a union card that was handed down to my dad and then it was handed down to me because he used to be a runner uh, my dad used to be a runner and so this is probably why i'm kind of like raising up a little bit because i'm like we used to be able to do it fuck you no 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 <laughs> you know um and i i live in a you know live near a place where it's still widely done and you know if you know the right person still fairly available oh yeah yeah you, like i've had applejack that was actually made correctly <laughs> and i had you know i remember I, went, I was going to this guy's bachelor party and uh he was a nice guy and i told him i looked at him i'm like look i can't i can't have too much of this so tell me no and i will i will stop because i'm gonna have a bad it's gonna go bad <laughs> if i keep going yeah yeah. But uh, it's like all of a sudden I'll be standing on the cop car like Joker, like ah, ha, 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 this is <laughs> this is the way my night ended, and you were involved. But um, yeah, but yeah. So, so something that I thought was interesting. So I'm I'm you know segueing here. No, that's fine. Um, so I, I'm reading about a guy named Charlie Papazian, Charlie. Uh, who's sort of the father of the homebrew um, thing in the 1970s, and he's from Charlottesville. Like he studied at UVA. Nice. And so then he found, um, he first tried his first homebrew in 1970. And by like 1972, he was teaching a homebrew class in like Boulder, Colorado, which is of course where you would teach a homebrew class. <laughs> Boulder, Colorado. Come on. Col uh, you, you know what? We, I always nickname our kind of political thinking as Colorado, you know, thinking, yeah. Oregon thinking. Yeah. But like, so he goes out to Colorado. He starts teaching a uh, homebrew class. And mind you that this is in like 1972, 73. This is like six years before President Carter made it legal to mm -hmm. brew beer. Yeah. And and I just have to be like, was it difficult to brew beer like around the size of his balls? because <laughs> i mean it's fairly obvious what he's doing right well like, certain states even though it was not federally legal kind of like weed like you have states that say it's okay and you have states that are that are growing weed legally but federally it's considered illegal you yet you have these pot farms that's kind of the same like the same uh pathway we're looking at so right now like it's legal for me to go over there and say i have anxiety get a uh, a you know a green card is what we nicknamed it and get some weed but it's not federally you know what i mean like it's it's one yeah. of those things where it's like this weird gray area 
where it's like nobody's gonna hassle you it's not enough it's really it's not enough to hassle this person so we're just gonna turn a blind eye to it turn the other cheek whatever same thing happened with home brewing at that time um besides it, at that again my own father now guys i am i'm gonna be 37 this year my own father was a runner <laughs> you know so they had bigger fish to fry they were chasing my dad around <laughs> In the Appalachians, <laughs> and while he was, you know, uh, bootlegging for for my uh, great uncle out of Western Ohio, so you know they they weren't worried about beer as much as they were like, oh shit, there's some corn whiskey that's going down this way at like 130 right. mile an hour. Well, hey, if you're interested in, like, brewing history, I found this out. This was pretty cool. Uh, the National Museum of American History, which is one of the Smithsonian's in Washington, D.C., actually has a beer historian on staff now. God bless him. Her name, actually, her name is Teresa McCullough. Oh, I was so serious. Oh, shame on me. Shame on me. <laughs> shame on you. What are you saying? A, a woman can't be a beer historian? No, actually, there was a video I was going to post from, you wouldn't believe this, this old house talked about uh beer brewing in the home and it's led by this uh woman who who talked about like yeah you know we started doing this she's a cook and everything else and uh you know i i i play stereotypes so you know invisible punch to the face to me <laughs> well yeah her name is Teresa mccullough she is curator of brewing history at the american history museum you can follow her on twitter she is at Teresa mccu uh she's a lot of fun to follow. I discovered her today. Um, and there is an exhibit at the National Museum of American History in D.C. called. Um, well, let, let me look it up real quick. We're going to this when I go up there, right? I hope so. It looks like a lot of fun. So it's part of it's called Our Brewing History. And it's uh, from a larger exhibit called The American Table. Um, and it has a whole section on brewing beer because that has been such an, an integral part of the American story. So, like, guys, this is a career to, like, aspire to. He, she's a historian of brewing. That or brewmaster. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. So what's your Twitter uh, handle? Just one more time for the folks out there. Yeah, so it is at Teresa MCCU. T H E R E S A M C C U. And I'm following her on, on Twitter now too. So you can find her. I'm going to have to bend her ear if I ever meet her about her last name, because um, the, I met a McCullough, but I thought it was a McCullough with an H at the end. And that McCullough was affiliated with the IRA apparently. And he was a sweet so, old man with a, that owned a gold mine in California. So I wonder if there's something there. No, I mean, that'd be a very big reach, but I, I'm just curious. I, I do know about the other spelling of McCullough. This is McCullough, M-C-C-U-L-L-A. Yeah. The other one, same exact thing, except he added an H. So I'm not, I'm not sure because the thing is, is with Ellis Island and everything, or even uh, Baltimore, the, the naturalization papers and everything else, of my own family is they phonetically started to spell it like almost like he was trying to tell them how to fix it. But then they left the Z and S on a naturalization papers. Right. But it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not, that's how it's said, but not how it's spelled. Well, anyway, well, Dr. Uh, yeah. Dr. McCullough here is also apparently writing a book about food and race in new Orleans. 
Narlands, oh which should God. be really cool. That could yeah. be really neat. I, I, I might need to find that and read that. I just followed her. I see that you followed her already. I followed her as a drunken trail. Um, guys, go out and follow her. It's uh, this is she's pretty- doing cool stuff, and th- like she's written some incredible blog articles that pop up on the Smithsonian website. So, like, guys, this is the real deal. This is like the history of brewing in the United States. So this is important. Yeah. All right. This is this is American history in the can that you're drinking from. This is this is important. You know, what's interesting is people are like, well, how important could it really be? But if you look at there was riots, there was stuff that, you know, that happened over liquor that really affected geopolitical uh, standing in the world. Well, and and on top of that, it's also the, the story of people. You know, these were, you know, in many cases, people that were living in very harsh times and in very different times from us that were trying to make, you know, their ends meet trying to you know live their lives exactly for their families and then on top of that it's just a cool story of you know integration and and immigration and and sort of the mixing pot that is the united states you know people coming from around the world to the united states doing what they did in their home countries with a distinctly american twist and becoming an american institution i mean that is the american dream right there yeah unfortunately is this uh, kibosh by corporations (laughs) um uh, anyways uh yeah yeah um i tell you you know it's 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 one of those things where when you really look in depth to the connections that have been made whether they've been negative or positive it's interesting how they occurred so home brewing in the united states it's nice that it occurred in the, the glass half full kind of look at it um, the half empty look at it is the fact that prohibition spawned our largest black market and mob scene ever <laughs> corruption. Right. Ever. Right. So it, it even, it even, um, created a bunch of committees to investigate how corrupt the United States was due to the the fact of uh the mob becoming so powerful luckily they found in the committee that you know what it's not as bad as we thought it was yes there's some corruption but it's not as bad as we thought it was so well, uh, and and it's led to also even more recently than you know the roaring 20 or the roaring 30s um it's led to some really weird business practices from some of these big beer manufacturers lately where they will you know trying these little beer microbreweries trying to compete against these big breweries has led to some very interesting, like the big company will go to the little company make them an offer that they can't confuse, can't refuse, buy them out and then like refuse to make their beer anymore just to like flatten the market and make it so that they have to. Oh, look what Sam Adams you know. did. Sam Adams oh, went yeah. ahead and did a whole competition. Like, Oh, we're going to, if you have a great recipe, come on, take us up. But what they did is at least they produced it. But the thing is, the right. person thought, Oh yeah, I won. Dude, if they're making it, it's because you could have made that money. Yeah. But like Budweiser is doing it or like, well, not Budweiser. The other big beer company, I'm not going to call them out directly because, you know, all that. But (laughs) like, you know, the big the big companies also are like buying these little breweries and then shutting them down. Yeah, you have that problem. So there is a movement, the craft beer movement, and and I'm going to come up with a link here in a minute. Now, while he does that, I just want to point out that this is not the only industry that this happens. Tech industries, Apple is known for creating patent warheads. There's all sorts of things that 
destabilize the market in favor of and creating a monopoly of these bigger corporations. Um, the uh, what is it? The illusion of choice in the United States is there when it comes to what you're buying. You have all these different brand names, but if you go to the top, you really see that you really have just not that many uh, companies that you're buying from. And so we used to call it when we're when we're learning in uh, business school is cannibalization. Like, is this worth it to initiate like to introduce this product because it goes against your other product? Yes, no, maybe even in Coke, like Coke Zero was sued by Coca Cola for being too close to Coca Cola with zero calories, and and uh, they sued within the company. It, it was just insane. Um, whether that was just a um, a publicity stunt or not, eventually Coke Zero did change its flavor profile if you've ever had it. And I wonder if that was because of inner office turmoil where that suing wasn't a publicity stunt at all. All right. So I, I found the thing that I was talking about. This is to support independent beer. Um, and it is the independent craft brewer seal, which you can find if you buy like a microbrewery's beer. It's that upside down uh, beer bottle that says certified brewers association independent craft um, and the idea is this to highlight you know those small companies out there and kind of you know give them a little boost over the uh, over the major competition and for a while they were trying to do this this gimmicky thing where I forget exactly what it was but some representative from Anheuser-Busch had tried to buy somebody out and as a joke, this little brewery made a counter offer and said, well, what if we try to buy Anheuser-Busch? What would it cost? And they said, well, it'll cost you $6 million or something like that. And so they, for a while, they were raising $6 million, trying to raise $6 million to buy out Anheuser-Busch. Did the guy jokingly say $6 million? Because Anheuser-Busch is like It wasn't billions. like six. It wasn't $6 million. It oh, was, you're just it saying? Was okay. other, I'm just, I can't remember the exact uh, number that it was, but they were working on raising the money to buy out Anheuser-Busch. Like India go <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you would have ended up with these little tiny craft companies owning Anheuser-Busch. Well, fuck yes. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I am happy for your success, but go fuck yourself if you're trying to stymie somebody <laughs> else's like flavor profile. The, the As much as I bitch about the IPA surge, it, here's the thing. IPAs or whatever... It, I should say just ales in general are easier to produce than lagers. Cool. Ales are a top yeast fermenting thing that can, uh, that can produce beer at a warmer temperature, which is why they're easier to produce. Why IPAs for some reason, uh, are popular more than the others. I have no idea. Um, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it was something brewed out of necessity. Uh, and, and I'm convinced the IPA thing is, is half that there are some truly, innovative things being done with beer and then part of it i'm convinced is the whole like oh this is so difficult to drink that i kind of like the reaction that other people give me when i tell them that i like it oh my god is that the truth because here's the thing a dogfish <laughs> made a great ipa that had coffee notes in it it's the only ipa i really like the rest I've tried of that it, it's it's weird but it's awesome and this is where craft breweries even though they're pretty big on their own uh shine they take risks uh this is why europe is beating the hell out of the american industry for flavor profile as far as alcohol they're almost verbatim the same the the misnomer of of our beer being weaker than theirs 
is only because of how they calculate it versus how we calculate it. We talk about alcohol by volume. They talk about uh, gravity. So they'll say proof. We'll say, you know, percent. And that's where it gets weird. Uh, So they'll say like, oh, you're we're at this proof. While as we'll say it's at this, you know, percentage. Otherwise, if you look at it and you broke it down, it's really the same shit. It's beer, man. Like anytime you get up to 10 percent, you're at fucking beer. Like you're at barley wine. It, it's right. it's you're not you're not at in Sierra Nevada they actually made a barley wine that was pretty famous. You're not at a beer level anymore, and beer is basically a liquidated whiskey anyway. So like, let's put you know where shit is supposed to put put, but uh, going down the the beer with the IPAs and everything, you have people that do IPAs because they suck so bad at creating a malt that the hops will cover it. At the same token, you have dogfish that makes that coffee IPA that's amazing. So it really just depends. And uh, as far as is these guys buying them out, that's that's a flag saying, hey, you're doing something right. They saw their sales dip. They saw the share. And this is where I, again, I hate you don't see European breweries really doing this too much, except for like, hey, you know, we can make some profit by buying America. There's opportunity. If you notice, they always play in our playground. They don't play in European's oh, yeah. playground. Oh, yeah. It's because it's not advantageous because of the fact that we are the wild, wild west of economics and United <laughs> States. Uh, and it really is. I mean, if you look at it, it's just like, oh, monopoly. Well, you can't have monopoly, except if you pretend that you don't. If you pretend that you don't have a monopoly, then you can have a monopoly. Well, how the fuck do you do that? Well, just have some asshole put his name on it, and then we'll consider that not a monopoly. True story that happened in my town. Guy owns all the dealerships, but because he's not allowed to own all the dealerships, uh, he has somebody else's name on one of them. I'm like, Amazing. Yeah, I'm like, this is ridiculous. So same thing is kind of going on with technology and with breweries and everything else, and I, and I kind of chuckle when I saw that the... Biden is trying to uh, get all the he's he's going to war with China over not with tariffs, but with getting people to make micro trips in the United States, which we desperately need. But what you're going to and they're giving out subsidies. But here's the problem. You're going to get fucking Elon Musk showing up like somebody like him who will use the subsidy, promise the world and not deliver like Tesla has any. Last time I checked, I see more gasoline cars than electric. So, and I last time I checked, I can't find any really rural area. That's your true test that has a electric plug-in to get charged up very quickly and get back on the road. So I told my wife, I was like, you know, we got to wait until 2025 for that. But anyway, yeah, because we want to get an electric vehicle. It's just, I'm not doing it until then. We should be hydrogen. Fuck electric. We should be hydrogen, but that's besides the point. That needs to be another podcast episode. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going down a big road. But um, remember when everybody was trying to do ethanol? Like, oh, we're just going to make, we're going to run off corn because the corn's, you know, corn, corn, corn. We got, we got so much fucking corn because of subsidies in the United States that we don't know what to do with it. We put fucking corn in batteries. It's ridiculous. It's like, you know, if you don't know where I'm talking about, check out Food Inc. <laughs> the documentary Food Inc. It talks about that shit. Um, how we are just this completely unleveled area but uh, going back to home brewing and, and breweries and everything else or just distilling your own liquor why the fuck is it like we're trying to make opium you know when we're trying to make whiskey if it's legal to buy purchase then why is it not legal for me to buy purchase to pr- 
to to create. I have no idea why that's a problem. Weed is less regulated when you finally get to that road. It's true. You can actually grow like in those states, you can grow your own plant. So I'm like, wait a minute. I can make my own like Tahoe Kush in my, you know, garage, but I can't make whiskey. Are you serious? Like, I know it's state by state. Like, your your state, if you're listening, could be the one that's like, hey, no, it's, it's all right, as long as you don't go over a certain amount, or you're not trying to sell it. <laughs> that's the only thing I would say. I would say, you know what? You have to get your taxes paid, your permits paid, if you're trying to sell it. Like, it's a $4,000 fucking tax permit uh, for federal, not counting the states. July 1 here in Virginia, man. What's July 1? Weed will be decriminalized and mostly legal. Yeah, it's a basically a speeding ticket if you get caught. That actually, so I had a funny experience about that. This is, you know, rabbit trail here, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're going to think it's funny. So I was at work the other day, and I'm not going to tell you all that are listening where I work because then, you know, like it's going to be identifiable. Um, but I was at work. And remember, I'm a, I'm a firefighter paramedic, okay? So I was at work. I wasn't on the ambulance for the day. I was admin. So I was just doing like office shit. And uh, I was like, you know what? There's a scar shop here in uh, in this town that I work in. I'm going to roll over to the scar shop and just see what kind of cigars they've got. And maybe buy myself one or two. Um, should be good. Never been here before. Should be fun. So as I walk up to the door of this cigar shop, I see on the door that they've got this big sign that says, like, they're selling CBD oil, which isn't a big deal. We've yeah. been selling CBD oil in Virginia for a very long time at this point, co- comparatively. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm in uniform. I'm on shift. I'm on duty. But it should be okay. I mean, we've got people that smoke on duty. So, like, walking into a cigar shop that sells CBD should be fine. Walk in there, giant tubs of weed on the counter. Nice. Like huge tubs of bud on the counter. And I was, I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh God, my boss is going to get a call about this. (laughs) That one of of his firefighters just walked into a dispensary. (laughs) And I kind of like, by this point, it's like I'm in the shop. I can't just like turn around and leave. So I like bought two cigars and uh, headed out, but they were like very busily explaining to this nice grandmotherly type lady, the different strains of weed and what the different effects on her would be if she would were to smoke them, which cracked me up. I really want to be there when like this granny type lady goes on her first trip. <laughs> I really, I really want to be there, man. It's funny too. Cause like I, I look at old movies and especially with horror films and all that stuff. And you see like somebody smoking, they just have the giggles for no reason. And I'm like, that's a very rare occurrence. Like that's yeah, no, that's not tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, we would weed. I'm like, you know, I, like I sent you that video where the guy was huffing, what was it? Opium and hashish and everything. I'm like, now that would make you act yeah. inordinate. You might giggle a little there. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff going through his system. He didn't realize when he was doing his report and didn't realize he's too close to the pile but uh yeah overall like i just don't see um the the problem it, it uh no i don't either i don't either i just want to give a shout out there are associations for home brewers where they lobby if you join them they give you a magazine all that stuff you know you pay your dues 
But they use that and they're very well informed with the law and they will go to Congress. Like they're so well informed with the law. They have a step by step of how it goes to committee in the federal government. Um, I am 100% for those guys and I'm, and I'm going to probably join them shortly. Uh, right now I'm paying dues to my photography filmography one. So it's kind of hard to pay both. It's yeah. a lot of money. Um, it's understandable. So like, like that one's like 30 bucks a month, but it gives me insurance. So, you know, I mean, reasonable. Yeah. Cause I knew I was going to be up in the mountains with that camera. I'm like, Hmm, <laughs> I have an email the policy holder. I was like, Hey man, can you double check this? But anyway, um, yeah. So that's join up with it. If you're passionate, like we are join up with them and, or at least contact your, your, your representative. Now there's points where I'm like, you know, I, I capped on, uh, the corporations, but I've been to breweries and distilleries and I agree with them that why does a winery get to sell as much as they want? But if I go to a distiller, Oh, I'm sorry. I can only sell you so much. Yeah. I can't be in competition with my well, little, you know, what the fuck with I'm your here. state with your state store. Yeah. Or state store or your, your distributor or what have you in Florida would be a distributor. But it's like, why, why I'm here. How often am I here at the distillery? If I am to live by the distillery, that should be a bonus. But if I'm not, then okay, I have to get it through the middleman. Sure. Yeah. What you know, as much as they tout that America's free flag waving motherfuckers, you know, no, they're not. They're not because you're so much middleman bullshit going on in bureaucracy that when you look at it, you're like, wow, shit, man, that bureaucracy in Belgium that I hear about is actually freer than what we got here. Well, and so folks, some ways that you can help this. First of all, getting involved, you know, talking to your representative, asking for explanations for why the laws are this way and telling them that you have a vision for how things should be different. Um, but like moving beyond that, even support your local guys, you know, figure yeah. out who your local distillery is, figure out who your local brewer is like here in, in Western Virginia, we've got a like bonanza of different brewers that we can go to and get brew that was like made right here, like 15 minutes from my house and shoot. I actually know where the local distiller is too. Oh, that's so, whiskey. Yeah. I can, I'm going to take when Nick and Sam come up here to visit, we're going to take them to the local distiller and get, help them uh, get their hands on some local uh, Shenandoah Valley corn whiskey that they should enjoy. So this is legal. It's above board. Oh, but when they it's were trialing illegal. out that recipe, it was illegal. I could tell. It was definitely illegal when they were making it originally. But he's very proud of the five years that he's been in legal operation. Like corn whiskey <laughs> is sweet. It if took you, 10 years to figure it out, but he's very proud of the five years that he's been in legal operation. If you guys like that moonshine, <laughs> that is the way to go. Where, who, who are they called so we can let them know? Uh, Happy Creek Distillery uh, it's in, out of Lou Ray, Virginia. Now, a little FYI. Now, here's the thing with the history, like being near water or Happy Creek or whatever. Um, there's a couple of things with that. Um, so for those of you who don't know why they call it moonshine, it's because you had to you didn't want to be out in the open brewing your your stuff. Oh, excuse me. It was it's River Hill Distillery. Or I River Hill. apologize. River Hill Distillery. Ah, River Hill. I don't know. Ray, Virginia. So uh, you ever notice like there's names to rivers or like you said, creek or whatever. The uh, there's reasons for that, and it's because they needed running water nearby. Now, if you were lucky to be on a spring, you can hide your still inside of a barn and no one would be the wiser. They wouldn't smell it because of the cows you had, all this other stuff. Um, there's a reason why also that farmers seem to be predominantly into the distillery 
distilling business. And that's not only because they had the product right in front of them, but it was easier to hide. And if they had a spring or a river or creek, or if they were not a farmer and they happened to be near a river or creek, that's why those guys at ATF would always find their way through there, or else they know them as revenuers. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The revenuers. Now, the thing is, is that a revenue, this is what people think of it. Like, oh, IRS guy. Well, he doesn't have a gun. The treasury agent does, though. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, treasury the treasury agent. And if if you deputize local law enforcement to help you, then you've got lots of people with guns. But usually they wouldn't do that because they'd be in on it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just, let's put it this way: in college, when I was brewing my own beer, like before it w- I was legally able to do so, and then after, I gave beer to my RA, and she, well, it's because I was hitting on her. She was. She was something else. But anyway, um, uh, she had a boyfriend, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) It's college. It's kind of open season. Um, But it was one of those things where, like, my friends were seeing that. They're like, you just gave homebrew to the RA. Like, aren't you going to get your... But we're both 21. I didn't card or anything, but I figured we're both 21 and over, whatever. But, uh, yeah, like, that's just kind of how it happens. You just kind of say, hey, would you like, you know, whatever. You know, I got a line. And um, even I have that tendency now, like I wanted to, my principal just retired, so I could say this. So where I work, I went up to her and I said, hey, you know, I got a line. He wanted some of that corn whiskey. And she's she's went, oh, no, thanks. I appreciate it. Because, you know, she's a good old girl from the South. And I figured, you know, she'd be appreciative of it. But uh, she was good. She was fine. Um, then I found out <laughs> later that she wasn't, you know, they're not really into that. Um, or she wasn't really into that. But, so, you know, I get it. You know, it happens. Yeah. But we'll take you there when you come and visit. <sighs> so I have something that I want to do real quick. And I didn't talk to you about this before, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I feel like it would add something to our podcast. Go for it. And and uh, this is going to be my thumbs down, thumbs up for some lo- some companies that I dealt with in the past week. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to give a thumbs up. Yeah. So first of all, I'm going to give a thumbs up to Dick Sporting Goods. And here's why. First of all, First of all, you have a hilarious name. <laughs> You're right? like Pittsburgh-based? I, I believe that. But you also are responsible for one of the funniest stories involving my mother-in-law that I have ever heard, which is when she went online searching for Christmas gifts and just typed dicks into Google and got a predictable result, which still to this day cracks me up. The thought of my mother-in-law just typing in a Google search for dicks, dicks. But on top of that, I ordered a tent this week and I put in the order last night at like 10 o'clock PM because we were laying in bed and we found an item we liked and we were like, this tent is awesome. Let's buy it. And it was shipped this morning. It's set to be delivered tomorrow. That is incredible. And you have a thumbs up for me because of a dick sporting goods. Nice. Now, on the other hand, I'm going to give a thumbs down to Carnegie Watches, with spelled with two R's, K C A R R N E I G E. Carnegie Watches. They tried to do this like they're this company that tried to do a uh, luxury watch startup based on Kickstarter in like 2017. Oh wow! And they came up with these watches, and they're not bad looking, but they're kind of weird. They're trying to take on like Rolex and stuff like that. Not a good idea. And uh, predictably, how how do you think that went, Nick? Uh. I used to be in watches, so I would say pretty bad. 
Yeah, it crashed and burned. So what they tried to do then, they were like, you know what? Our luxury watches, which are like nowhere near Rolex quality, are not moving. And so we're going to try to start doing some budget watches, which tended to be like 35 bucks. Not a bad watch, not an expensive watch. But like after a couple of years, they have crashed and burned and they are closing. All right. So they had these closeout deals on their watches. And I was like, you know what? They're cheap watches, but they look good. And they're going for like $10 when they'd normally be $40. So I'm going to order two of them. They said, awesome. We'll get you your order within one to three weeks. Guess how many weeks ago that was? Six. Six. I'm not joking. Six. Tomorrow will be six weeks. And uh, I've talked to their customer service like three or four times at this point. They still have not shipped them. And tomorrow I will be going in there and canceling my order and getting a refund. So thumbs down to Carnegie watches, even though you're going out of business, you all suck. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's, you know, you take that risk, but you still spent money and it's like, look, you said you had, it. it shouldn't be that hard because you're just trying to close out your business and sell out for shit. Exactly. I've, I've been there with my gun business and you know what? All my stuff was fine. It was sent. It was shipped. And, and you still fulfilled your orders and made your yep. customers happy and ended with a good taste in their mouth. Yeah, because th- I want to be done. I want to get yep. out. These folks have like, oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> By the way, point to know it. When I talk about that, why I'm not in the gun business, it, was, it isn't because I wasn't making enough money. It was because I couldn't get the variants where I moved. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I I talked to the, the local government and I was like, hey, so who do I have to talk to? Oh, the commissioners and who's on the board? And they said, well, I'm one of them. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, well, I am guess I'm done. <laughs> so, yep. And we're not going anywhere. Yeah. And it wasn't like one of those like mom and pop places where it's like, oh, well, it's only one. You probably get the rest. It's like, no, no, no. It was a city, a straight up cities, Pittsburgh to be exact. So. Um, yeah, yeah. When you talk about like a city like Pittsburgh, and you ended up talking to one of the commissioners, they are pretty much going to tell you yes or no. And if it's a no, then it's it's a no the rest of the way. But right. anyway, um, so anyway, my, my thumbs up, thumbs down might become a more regular thing. We'll see. I like. It. If you enjoyed it, let us know. I like it. I like it. Uh, well, thanks for uh, joining us today with our homebrewing episode, and you hopefully you learned something. You check out our videos to see uh, what we're talking about, especially with the Ethan Mel does cocktails or the ginger beer. On uh, the next episode, we hope to bring you some um, new stuff with our mascot, hopefully with the merch, because we're slowly on a tank moving towards merchandise land. I got to send some stuff to our artists and uh we'll we'll see that there also we want to talk about um the coolest book if you're opening up a bar or tavern and one of the ones that when they first opened up with this book uh or sold this book it was by the the professor in the entire united states um he he was the only one teaching how to do that like it was an actual degree and it's really good it's um now i'm sure there's other editions i'm kind of wanting to get the newest edition this one's only the second edition so that tells you and i got this when i got out of college because i was trying to open up a bar and that was back in i graduated 2007 but yeah 2006 is when this book came out so i'm sure there's other editions and there may actually be other places where you can get the degree now but at the time it was only uh university of connecticut if i believe if i'm right but his uh it was professor uh, roy s alonzo if i remember correctly 
But anyway, um, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit and some of the tips and tricks of the trade that I learned uh, from uh, looking into it. He even has this cool little chart that tell. Well, it doesn't come up. In, there we go. Uh, that talks about like why you shouldn't have a large room or why a bright room is a problem or why ceilings too high is a problem. It, it goes in all those things of what you need to do to create the perfect bar to make profit, make your customers happy and have them keep on coming again. And uh, yeah. So, Oh, here we go. Restaurant and beverage management courses at university of New Hampshire. I'm sorry. I said Connecticut. Oh, okay. So, uh, and supervise a licensed faculty club. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's as close as you're gonna get. The guy when he took his picture, it's not even him looking. You know how he does the little, you know, I'm an author. Didn't even mm-hmm. do that. It's just him on the phone. Like literally, he took well, a picture of that. him on the phone. Like I'm busy. Yeah, you got the book. Fuck it, whatever. Take a picture. <laughs> it's just, there you go. There you go. So, anyways, thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, don't forget to check out our uh, social web uh, network sites like Facebook at uh, the Drunken Trail and Twitter at Drunken Trail. YouTube is also the Drunken Trail. We also have Ethan and Mel do cocktails on there, as well as the Crawl, which there's only two videos. And, uh, there will and be he's, more. he's working on it. He's working on it. He's working on it. Yeah. It's okay. There would have been four, but you know, there's some clusterfucks. But anyways, uh, if you check out Instagram, we also have Ethan and Mel, which is E N M cocktails. Yeah, it's at E N M do cocktails. At E N M do cocktails, and then you could also follow us on our personal Twitter at the real Nick Rose. And Ethan, yours is on Twitter at NRP Zookie. And be sure to check out the uh, the you know historian of American brewing that we talked about today as well. Absolutely, I'll go ahead and put those up on show notes. Although I've been kind of delayed, so sorry about that. Um, now, real quick, don't forget, guys, we have been posting about summer movie recommendations with their cocktails. So if you join up on those social network sites, you're going to get that as well. Movies paired with cocktails, inspired by cinemasips.com we saw that they didn't do everything especially independence day shame on you cinema sips but uh it looks like it's a kind of a mom and pop uh blog but you know we're gonna fill that void we're gonna put those uh cocktails we will come up with an independence day cocktail yes and we will film it and uh (laughs) (laughs) how to do the explosion sound uh so anyways yeah and uh as always thank you for listening You've been listening to the Drunken Trail Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite digital streaming service. Follow us on Facebook at The Drunken Trail, Twitter at Drunken Trail, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.